Answering Mormon's Questions by Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson deals with 36 commonly asked questions by your LDS friends and neighbors. It's a great resource for Christians who want to share their faith with friends and loved ones. Be sure to pick up your copy today at your favorite Christian bookstore. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, we hope you enjoy this repeat broadcast. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is my colleague, Eric Johnson, and we are continuing our look at a speech that was given by a BYU professor back in July 12, 2011, by Brad Wilcox, titled, His Grace is Sufficient. If you'd like to catch our past broadcasts on this subject to kind of fill you in and bring you up to speed, you can do so by going to mrm.org, and you will find not only this series, but all of our broadcasts listed under archives as well. The way he starts off his speech, he talks about a young lady from BYU who came into his office and was having some concerns regarding the understanding of grace. She says, I just don't get grace. And he says, well, what is it that you don't understand? She says, I know I need to do my best, and then Jesus does the rest, but I can't even do my best. She then went on to tell me all the things she should be doing because she's a Mormon that she wasn't doing. She continued, I know that I have to do my part and then Jesus makes up the difference and fills the gap that stands between my part and perfection, but who fills the gap that stands between where I am now and my part? The gist of this talk was to try and explain a proper understanding of grace according to Mormonism. And I would hope that he was trying to alleviate some of the anxiety that this young lady had in obviously not realizing whether or not she was qualified for celestial exaltation in the next life. The problem, as we have seen, is that many times Mr. Wilcox draws conclusions that certainly conflict with the teachings of Latter-day prophets and apostles, and he sometimes does give some stereotypes and caricatures of what he thinks we as Bible-believing Christians, or born-again Christians, as he calls us, uh, actually believe. So we're going to continue looking at what he says, and he talks about what he used to believe as far as his understanding of the final judgment. He says, in the past, I had a picture in my mind of what the final judgment would be like, and it went something like this. Jesus standing there with a clipboard, and Brad standing on the other side of the room, nervously looking at Jesus. Jesus checks his clipboard and says, oh, shoot, Brad, you missed by two points. Brad begs Jesus, please check the essay question one more time. There have to be two points you can squeeze out of that essay. That's how I always saw it. But the older I get and the more I understand this wonderful plan of redemption, the more I realize that in the final judgment, it will not be the unrepentant sinner begging Jesus, let me stay. No, he will probably be saying, get me out of here. Knowing Christ's character, I believe that if anyone is going to be begging on that occasion, it would probably be Jesus begging the unrepentant sinner, please choose to stay. Please use my atonement, not just to be cleansed, but to be changed so that you want to stay. I'm going to say that to me, Bill, is very offensive. Jesus begging the sinner, please come. I'm not getting my way. Please choose to come. My way and Heavenly Father's way. 
Yeah, it, it, it is a little troublesome the way he explains that. And, and this idea of Jesus wringing his hands, hoping that people will come to him, has always bothered me. Uh, e- even as a Christian, it bothers me. I believe that God sovereignly calls his people unto himself. Amen. And so to think that he's up there, oh, I hope they'll believe, I'll hope they believe, as if their will is stronger than God's is that's really a, troubling to me personally. That's a weak portrayal of Jesus, that's It for certainly sure. is. But here's what I, I think we need to emphasize here. He talks about this idea of a Jesus standing with a clipboard. He says, he checks his clipboard and says, oh, shoot, Brad, you missed it by two points. Isn't that really the analogy that a lot of Mormon leaders have actually given, There are certain things you must do, and if you don't check off all the boxes, you don't end up going into the celestial kingdom. Listen to 10th President Joseph Fielding Smith. He says, salvation and a cup of tea? You cannot neglect little things. Oh, a cup of tea is such a little thing. It is so little. Surely it doesn't amount to much. Surely the Lord will forgive me if I drink a cup of tea. Yes, he will forgive you because he is going to forgive every man who repents. But my brethren, if you drink coffee or tea or take tobacco, are you letting a cup of tea or a little tobacco stand in the road and bar you from the celestial kingdom of God where you might otherwise have received a fullness of glory? That comes out of Doctrines of Salvation, uh, Volume 2, page 16. So here, a cup of tea or a little bit of tobacco could end up being the two points that you needed to get on the essay to get you to qualify. Yeah, he'll forgive you if you repent, which means you stop drinking the tea. Absolutely. But if you didn't stop, then I think you're right. That's another box that needs to be checked off, that isn't checked off during the mortality. What do you do with Bruce McConkie, Mormon apostle, who wrote Doctrinal New Testament Commentary in Volume 3, page 256? He says, salvation comes by obedience to the whole law of the whole gospel. Joseph Smith said, Any person who is exalted to the highest mansion has to abide a celestial law and the whole law too. Thus, a man may be damned for a single sin. I would say that we would probably agree with that. Any sin that we have attached to us when we die is going to be held against us. But it goes back to how do we get rid of that? How do we get rid of that sin that's attached to us? We know that from what we've read before, it's all about the effort on the part of the individual Latter-day Saint to overcome those sins and to stop doing them, Mm -hmm. that this repentance must permeate every area of their life. The problem, of course, as with this young lady who starts off the story here in this talk that Mr. Wilcox gives, she realizes she hasn't done that. She doesn't think she will do that. She's looking for some consolation. And I don't think Mr. Wilcox is really helping unless it's by giving her false information that cannot be supported by what the leaders of the Mormon church have said. If you have one sin attached to you, McConkie understands you will be damned. Ask any Latter-day Saint. If you are a Latter-day Saint listening to this broadcast right now, Do you have the assurance that all your sins are forgiven? That there's absolutely no sin whatsoever that Christ could ever point at you and say, that needs to be taken care of? Well, that's what Matthew 121 says. It says that Jesus came to forgive his people from their sins. And so 
That is what we've been talking about over and over again. A person who knows that they're forgiven understands what the true Christian gospel is all, all about. It's not about striving, trying to earn. This is what all the world's religions are trying to say. You have to do this, you have to do that, and continue to do that in order to receive justification from God. But the Bible's very clear, justification by faith alone, not of our works. I don't think we can say it enough. As you just stated, it's not of works. It's not of our works, but our salvation is based in Christ's works. Big difference. We put our trust in what Christ did for us, not what we can do for ourselves. We really do believe that when Jesus died on the cross, rose again the third day, it was finished. There was nothing more that can be added. Now, Mr. Wilcox talks a good game. He even quotes those things. But then when he goes on to explain himself, it obviously isn't finished because there's covenant keeping that's involved. And he says this. He says this. He falls right in line with what Mormon leaders have said. And some points, he doesn't always seem to fall in line. He seems to contradict them at some point, and then he falls in line on other points. It's very confusing. I, I can't imagine this poor young lady listening to this explanation. Now, of course, she probably didn't hear all this that he's got in his sermon. He probably prepared that long afterwards. But when he's talking about his conversation with this young lady, it has to be very confusing for her. Oh, Jesus paid it all, so I don't have to do anything? Oh, no, you have to do plenty, he says. Mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute. I thought Jesus paid it all. You see, she even understands the confusion while she's listening to him. He's not making himself clear because he can't make himself clear. He's trying to be evangelical or Protestant in his understanding of salvation, while at the same time, he has to be somewhat loyal to the Mormon structure and its view of salvation. And you can't have it both ways. The two worldviews do not mesh. This is why the Mormon church has had such a struggle trying to convince Bible-believing Christians that they should be a part of the Christian fold. No, you would be in the same classification as the Galatian church. And Paul had strong words towards the Galatians, who still were looking at personal effort as having something to do with being granted God's favor. It doesn't work that way. We come to God with empty hands. If we have anything in our hands, it's filthy rags. And I don't think that's going to impress an all-holy God. This is what we're trying to get across to the LDS people. Real quick, we we don't have much time, but um, he continues on and he says, If Jesus did not require covenants and bestow the gift of the Holy Ghost, then there would be no way to change. We would be left forever with only willpower with no access to his power. If Jesus did not require endurance to the end, then there would be no internalization of those changes over time. They would forever be surface and cosmetic rather than sinking inside us and becoming part of us, part of who we are. Put simply, if Jesus didn't require practice, then we would never become pianists. Well, this is weird. I've never made these type of covenants, and yet I feel that very much so the change that Christ has done in me has been very much internalized. It's coming from the inside out. Because you realize what the atonement costs, and the valuable gift that you received, you could never pay it back. It makes you want to do that, not something that you're going to check off on a list of all the things that I've done. Well, maybe some of our LDS listeners could answer this question. You mean to tell me that people in their ward 
don't really have a surface or cosmetic change on the outside, that once you get to know these people in the local ward, you start to see, hey, even in Mormonism, it's all cosmetic. It's all surface. They have to live this lie in order to appear better than others, Mm -hmm. because if they really were genuine and authentic, people would see maybe they're not celestial quality. And so they have to put on an act. I've had ex-Mormons tell me that. I've had them tell me that, that they had to put on an act and be someone that they were not in order to impress those that were around it. What a sad situation. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism. When trying to understand the doctrines of our Latter-day Saint friends, family members, and co-workers, it can be very difficult to know what to believe. In his resource titled, In Their Own Words, a collection of Mormon quotations, Mormonism Research Ministries' Bill McKeever compiles some of the very best Mormon quotations that will help you better understand what LDS leaders and scholars have said on such issues as atonement, exaltation, and pre-existence. Written in an encyclopedic format, In Their Own Words provides quotes on literally dozens of issues, alphabetically listed for quick reference that can be found in a matter of seconds. No more wondering what Mormonism's leaders have said on any topic. And this resource is available in both book format as well as on CD disc. Just load the PDF file onto your computer and you're ready to do valuable research. These are the very best quotes that Mormonism Research Ministry uses on a regular basis. In Their Own Words is available now at MRM.org. Again, MRM.org. Get it today.